This is Werewolf the Podcast. High Level Games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please. Help. They're coming. <laughs> Listen, children. While the moon rides into the sky, and we sit around this fire, I will tell you what I know of the ways our enemy warps the Umbra, and the spirits who dwell there. I will tell you of some of the creatures and... things that are the terrible soldiers of our hideous foe. And then I will tell you what I know of how to destroy them. For fangs and claw are not enough. You must be strong of spirit and swift of thought, or you will lie dead at the feet of your enemies, or worse, rise and join them. The worm wraps its coils around and through the many realms near Gaia, just as as its coils wrap through the mundane cities and lands that it pollutes. Using moon bridges and magic, the servants of the worm cross the Umbra from realm to realm on missions of hate and destruction. And it is our duty, as Geru, to destroy them and their workings of evil. The worm strives always to corrupt, and many of the wise and mighty have fallen prey to its lures of knowledge or power. You must be ever vigilant, and forever question yourself, lest a bane enter through the doors of pride and hatred. But you must be strong and sure when you find evil, and use fury as a weapon to destroy the twisted mockeries that hunt us in the night, for we are the changing breed, and we also hunt Ekasara, Bane Tender Elder, from Book of the Worm. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Book of the Worm First Edition. I'm Josh Heath. I am the host of Werewolf the Podcast, and I want to let you know about a couple of things real quick. One is that High Level Games, the company that I am the COO of, is running a convention in Atlantic City in October, October 12th through the 14th, 2018, in Atlantic City. We've got a lot of awesome events that are going to be running there, including uh, potentially some World of Darkness LARPs, potentially um, some other awesome LARP and tabletop events. There's definitely going to be a lot of cool stuff, some stuff that I can talk about, some stuff that I can't yet, uh, as we're kind of locking everything down and getting those events up with different people running them. But I think if you are a fan of this podcast or of high-level games or anything that we do, that you would probably be interested in that convention. So today we're reviewing Book of the Worm First Edition. And Book of the Worm First Edition came out in 1993, and its primary authors are Bill Bridges, Steve Brown, William Spencer Hale, Jay Morrison, Richard Strong, with a little bit of additional writing from Phil Brucato, Sam Chupp, Jim Comer, Sam and Abinette, and Tu Yuin Woodruff. And I apologize if I have messed that last name up. I, it's T-E-E-U-W-I-N. I believe it's T-U-Win. 
Um, this was developed by Bill Bridges, edited by Robert Hatch. Layout was done by Sam Chupp, with Richard Thomas as the art director. He did some art, as well as Joshua Gabriel Timbrook, Lawrence Allen Williams, Sam and Abinette, Steve Carter, Antoinette Ryder, John Cobb, and Jeff Rebner. So there are a lot of people involved in this book. And honestly, Book of the Worm First Edition is a great book. One of the things that I would recommend to storytellers in the world of darkness in general, particularly, of course, werewolf storytellers, is that every edition of Book of the Worm is something useful to get. I actually think it's interesting to see some of the changes and maybe some of the ideas you could pull from different editions of the book that either maybe were updated or weren't updated, and I think that it's useful to see where things started. So Book of the Worm is beyond just a detailing of how the worm corrupts the world. It's also a little bit of a tribe book for the Black Spiral Dancers. And at this stage, this is actually would be the first tribe book that we've got in hand. The other tribe books came out right after second edition did. So it's interesting to note that this uh, provides a little bit of a layout for that tribe, as well as several other layers of the worm's influence. And it starts off with a story that tells the background of the White Howlers. And the White Howlers are the tribe that was corrupted into being, being the Black Spiral Dancers. And I think that's an interesting story. The story here is good. I recommend reading it and digging into it and pulling it apart. And again, this story changes and the story gets deeper in later editions. You know, eventually, Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition, they produce a White Howlers tribe book, which tells the story from the White Howlers perspective Whereas this story here is told a little bit from the White Howlers, a little bit from the Black Spiral's um, point of view. Now, this book has this book has five chapters. Chapter one is the Black Spiral Dancers. Two are Pentex. Chapter three is about Malpheus. Chapter four focuses on the worm itself, and chapter five, the worm's brood, focusing on different types of worm creatures that you can utilize. And this is the first time we get some detailed information on Fomori and how to use creatures like that. Of course, there have been some Black Spiral Dancers and some Fomori presented in the other books already, but this is the first time you really get deep into them. The first chapter on Black Spiral Dancers gives you everything. It gives you information on their society. It tells you that Black Spiral Dancers actually represent about one-tenth of the entire Garu nation, the entire Garu population in the world. And that's partly because they have more metis. They produce more metis uh, because they don't have that sort of um, cultural uh, impetus to not create metis. And they are corrupting other werewolves on a pretty steady rate. So the worm is encroaching, gaining ground. And it's gaining ground against the nation as a whole, particularly because the nation, the Euro nation, isn't perfectly allied. There are flaws, cracks, and weaknesses within the nation, and I think that plays a significant part at causing some of the problems that the werewolves are facing. You've got information here on the pits, which are the cairns that Black Spiral Dancers use. You have information on 
Banes and using worm totems and what dancing the black spiral means. And it's actually something that has two levels to it. The first being the rite of passage that every black spiral dancer goes through. And then there is a later rite called the rite of transmogrification. So to become a black spiral dancer, you have to dance the spiral. To gain rank, you have to dance the spiral again and depending on how far down the spiral you get is how high of a rank you get. Now, it's mentioned here that maybe the first spiral that black spiral dancers do is just a sect level spiral and it's not the real black spiral, and that's good to note. The second rite is definitely done on the actual black spiral in the heart of Malpheus and if you have a Black Spiral Dancer that's dedicated enough, it's possible to go through all nine levels, which would make them rank nine if they somehow made it all the way through. Now, Werewolf at this stage and throughout, actually, Werewolf at this stage only provides four ranks, and later you get five and potentially six ranks of Werewolves for the normal levels of the Garo Nation. Black Spiral Dancers potentially have up to nine levels. Now, there's a later mention of a Black Spiral Dancer that may have made it to the ninth level, and they have become a direct servant of the Worm. So anything over four or five, they're probably going to go straight into crazy powerful NPC territory. So if you wanted to run characters through a Black Spiral Dancer game, and they find this book, and they're like, ah, I want to you know, go through the Rite of Transmogrification and get up to rank nine... That's not something you should have them do, beyond the fact that I'm not sure you should be running a Black Spiral Dancer game to begin with, but that's your game, it's your players, I'm not going to tell you how to run them. Just something to keep in mind. Renown and rank with the Black Spirals works basically the same as other werewolves, except they focus on power, cunning, and infamy as their types of renown that they gain. The Black Spiral Litany is a little bit different. Serve the worm in all its forms aware the territory of another. Give safe passage to those of other hives. Slay those who will not join you. Respect all who serve the worm. The veil shall not be lifted. Do not suffer thy people to tend thy sickness and death. The leader may be challenged at any time in peace. The leader shall not be challenged in time of war. And ye shall take no action that causes a pit to be violated. So if you are familiar with the litany from when we went over it in the first edition uh, review, you can tell that this is basically the same litany, it's just inverted to focus on the worm. And in this segment, you really learn that the Black Spiral Dancers see themselves as the heroes. They see themselves as working for the worm, not to corrupt the world, but to bring it back into balance. They think the Weaver is the tr member of the triad that is out of balance, and they're hoping to support the worm so that the worm can destroy most everything and set things back to the way it should be. I think that's an interesting, you know, the villain is the hero in their own story sort of focus. And it's interesting to see it gives potential motivations that you can provide to your antagonists so they don't see themselves as cackling villains, but the players can, of course, continue to do so if they would like. After this information on the tribe, uh, it dives into um, Kinfolk, the Pentex uh, connection between the Black Spiral Dancers and Pentex itself, 
kind of interesting. It also gets into an area that I don't really agree with and something that I would not pull out from first edition. And that's this connection between the Sabbat and the Black Spiral Dancers, the Sabbat and Pentax. The Sabbat as presented, and I won't dive into vampire territory too far, but the Sabbat as presented in later books is very different from how it's presented in these early books. In these early books, it's presented as this evil villain that would definitely be in keeping with the uh, Black Spiral Dancers and the Worm and Serving the Worm and things like that. That would be something that I would ignore if I were you. I would suggest um, not to focus on that here, but if you want to, if you want to pull those things in, you can do so. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by! We hope to see you there. You get information on uh, Black Spiral Dancers throughout the world, what uh, the weaknesses of Black Spiral Dancers are, some of the derangements that they might have. And then we get into Chapter 2, which is Pentex. And Pentex is uh, it's a good section at this point, particularly for first edition. You learn a little bit about the company, and that's helpful. I would say if I were running a game where I was using Pentex a lot that I would get either W20 Book of the Worm or I would get the amazing book Subsidiaries, A Guide to Pentex. And Subsidiaries was a book that I actually reviewed on Midnight Express with Adrian recently. So if you want to listen to that, that's something you can go and find. Midnight Express, we reviewed Pentex um, Subsidiaries and I'm going to review that here on Werewolf the Podcast pretty soon. Well, probably in quite a while at this stage. It's a revised book, or it's a second edition, almost revised book. So it'll be a little bit before we get to that book in this review. But I'm talking about this book. And Pentex in this book has um, some information on things like Project Iliad and Project Odyssey, which are projects to give psychic powers to people, um, kind of give the worm another layer of, uh, of individuals that it can use to push forward its agenda. One of the things I think is interesting here is that there are 21 corporation subsidiaries that are provided here. And actually, as far as I know, this is the largest list of different subsidiaries and that includes some subsidiaries that are subsidiaries that aren't mentioned in the future, like uh, Hallahan Fishing Company. I don't think that's anywhere else after this particular book, but it's interesting to see these are the different places that Pentex has its talons. You get information on 
the different members of the board of directors. And overall, it's a pretty decent portrayal of Pentax. It's useful if you, particularly it was useful for first edition. This is their first real opening to what Pentax does on its upper levels. And I think that's useful. Chapter three uh, is on Malpheus, which is the lair of the worm. It's actually focused on the umbral home of the worm. And obviously in the Umbra book, uh, Umbra Velvet Shadow, we're going to be going over Malpheus a little bit again, but there is more than enough information here for you to run connections to Malpheus, you know, have your players maybe learn a little bit of this information, and as they gain in rank and power, they actually might go to Malpheus itself. Now, that's a plot that I think is a little bit overdone. You know, a lot of LARPs that I've been in, there's actually a little bit of a joke that, oh, we're going, it's, you know, going to Malpheus week, because it's a little bit of a, it's supposed to be an epic plot, but it's almost done too frequently and I think that harms it but there's so much cool stuff provided here and provided in other books that it's like well man I want my players to have the ability to involve themselves in this to go there to to have some you know an adventure as it were in these locations so it's fine if you think I want to use Malpheus in my games what I would recommend is perhaps consider disconnecting some of these sub-realms within Malpheus into worm realms that are near to the heart of the worm itself. And that gives you a little bit of an out where you can say, okay, well, today you're not going to Malpheus, but today you're going to, you know, um, an area where number two, who is that Black Spiral Dancer I mentioned before, or potentially is that Black Spiral Dancer I mentioned before, who rules Castle Cathonis a bleak tower squatting on a mound within sight of the central duchy. And perhaps it's a little bit farther away from the central duchy, but that would give you a way to use number two, who I think is a horrifically terrifying villain in an interesting story, which would be something I would recommend doing. You could really take most of this chapter and pull it out and use it in your campaign as long as you don't overdo it, as long as you don't make it a weekend trip to hell scenario, which is the only thing I recommend avoiding, <laughs> if at all possible. Chapter four focuses on the worm itself, and it talks about the role of the worm within the triad and concepts of the triadic worm, which the triadic worm or the defiler worm, eater of souls, and beast of war. These are the three aspects of the worm that it is taken on that are corrupted versions of the wild weaver worm triad and then below that are the urge worms and the urge worms are the emanations of the corruptive desires that the worm forces people doesn't necessarily force but encourages the world along and there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's a lot of stuff for you to dig into. I think the interesting thing that's in this book as a whole that they suggest you keep in mind is not everything that humans do is worm-tainted. Not every evil thing that people do is caused by the worm, but the worm takes advantage of those things in the world of darkness, and that makes sense. Chapter five gives you gifts for the Black Sparrow Dancers, which is useful. 
you know, if you want to create more more deep NPCs, or like I mentioned before, if you have a crazy idea that you want to run players as uh, as minions of the worm, you can do that. You've also got different totems that the worm packs might face, and you've got a sample pack. The sample pack is interesting enough. Like a lot of the books I've covered so far, they don't reach out and grab me, but they're certainly interesting. I could grab this book and, and run them, and I could do so very easily. There's a useful segment on Fomori. Uh, there's a Pentex team that you're given all the stats for. Useful. There's also a group of monsters or creatures called the Vujunka, and these are humanoid creatures that have no eyes and their faces are pretty much just big teeth and up until 20th anniversary edition this is the only place you would find these creatures but it's interesting that they're here they kind of focus on this uh, this lost world world underneath the earth type of idea that's present in first edition mage and um, some of you know first and second edition werewolf so if that's you know kind of the sort of story that you wanted to tell they would be an interesting antagonist to bring into that there's also thunderworms and then one of the most interesting antagonist npcs for me is the first ronin and the first ronin is supposedly still alive he's a werewolf that was um, thrown out of the nation and willingly chose to serve the worm and at this stage I would consider making the first Ronin a, if you were to use it, I would make them an abomination. And I say that without saying, oh my gosh, you should make every, you know, horrible werewolf antagonist an abomination because that can get into ridiculous territory. But I do think if you were to look at this character, the fact that they're still alive, the fact that they're able to randomly burst into uh, mist, dark shadow, I think is what it says. It makes me, it just screams ab abomination to me. And if you wanted to use that and tie it in, it would be a good way to use a abomination in a story in a way that's interesting and I think deep potentially. There's also a uh, mention of the skull pigs. Now, in later edition, the skull pigs are a different type of creature than they are here. I would recommend reading um, W20 Book of the Worm if you want to know a little bit uh, more about the skull pigs and see where you could take them. That said, if you want to use them as they're written here, they're interesting. Then there's a whole segment on different powerful banes that work for the worm. And this is a little bit of like a monster manual bestiary type segment. But honestly, there's nothing in here that I would say, oh, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't use that. Quite the opposite. I would say everything in here is horrific. It's world of darkness, werewolf appropriate. And from that, I would really recommend taking a look at them. And if you want to use them, use them. Uh, because there's a lot of cool stuff here. There's a whole segment on fetishes and talents that the Black Spiral Dancers have. There's some toys um, that Avalon Toys creates, which you can use in your games. Honestly, that's the book. It's 118 pages, and it is one of the better books in the first edition. 
werewolf books. Would I give it 10 out of 10? I don't think so. Um, there's a reason that it got updated every edition. You know, there's some um, different directions that you could take this book. A little bit more show rather than tell that could be provided. But this is a quality book. The art's pretty good. There's some iffy art here and there. I think some of the cover art for first edition is the area that's the weakest, uh, but the internal art is generally all pretty good. So I don't know, you know, probably somewhere between an eight or a nine out of 10, I would give this book really solid, totally worth it. Like I said, I would get first edition book of the worm, second edition book of the worm, uh, revised book of the worm and W 20 book of the worm. There's different stuff in all of them. There's interesting stuff there. And I would, um, I would say there's no reason not to get them all, if, especially if you really want to have a cross-section of different options to present to your players. So that has been Werewolf the Podcast for the review of Book of the Worm. As always, please uh, send us any comments, suggestions, um, complete disagreements about our opinions uh, if you have them. And we hope that you continue to enjoy the podcast.